is this Professor Luftus? It is. How are you? <laughs> Very well. This is Jay Michaels. If I'm on the line, you're on the air. Oh, okay. Very good. What a pleasure to speak to you. I, I'm, well, thank you. I wasn't kidding when I called you a professor. I think I've learned more about the American theater from your Facebook posts oh, than, nice. than any of, of my academics that I deal with. <laughs> Well, that's very nice. I appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, you, you're also an established playwright, uh, which which makes total sense. Uh -huh. I'm trying. Uh, please, please tell me and our listeners a little about uh, the Donald Luftus. Okay, um, I started uh, out in Cleveland. Uh, I came from um, a really modest uh, home, I would say. Uh, my father actually left. My mother and uh, her three kids when I was eight. Huh. So we really struggled. And I think, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that lately uh, with this epidemic, this pandemic, because I just think I don't know that we would have survived. You know, she, she lived from paycheck to paycheck. And, and uh, so it's really sort of hit me this, uh, you know, what's going on here. But I, I anyway, I, I went, uh, I worked uh, in retailing first. I worked for the May Company, which is now part of the, the Macy's group. And, uh, Started as like a stock boy, became an assistant buyer, then a buyer, and eventually became uh, vice president of uh, uh, the cosmetics department and accessories. And then uh, was hired by Estee Lauder. Uh, went to uh, my my dream was always to live in New York. I, I, in ninth grade, my whole life was changed when I came to New York. I saw four Broadway shows and totally changed my life. So my goal was to get to New York. Uh, I actually came to New York uh, for a theater school. Uh, when I was uh, 18, right out of high school, and I got, I, it was $2,000 uh, for the summer for the course, and uh, it turned out that uh, I, I, when I arrived, and two, that might have been $2 million. It was, it was so much money for me. <laughs> so I get to New York City, I go the first day of school, there's a padlock on the door, and there's all these kids from all over the country, and it was a scam, <gasps> and it was horrifying. Oh, it was so man. Because all my friends, had, you know, I've done a lot of community theater back in Cleveland, and my friends were so excited that I was going to New York to the theater school, but it was so embarrassing and depressing and everything else. So I got a job at Modell's uh, <laughs> as, a, as a security guard, and my job was like take the weapons away in downtown Brooklyn as the people <laughs> entered the store. And... Um, and it was good. I stayed with I stayed with three actresses. So this will be a place in there. I stayed with three actresses and just watched them struggle and you know audition and not get anywhere and blah blah blah. So I went back, finished my college education and worked for the makeup. I became a vice president. Then worked for Estee Lauder. Then became eventually um, I spent like twenty five years in the cosmetic industry and eventually became president. And I was president of Johnny Versace. I was president of Beef Saint Laurent. Um, I, I was, the, uh, Procter & Gamble had a division as well, um, which I eventually became president of. And that was like Cuba Boss, Burberry, Ascada, a whole slew of brands. Uh, it was uh, Dolce & Gabbana and Gucci and so on and so forth. So I had a really good career and I loved it. But all through that, I would write. I was writing plays. And um, I would wake up at four in the morning, as you know, I, Still do many times. Indeed, I would, wake, I would wake up at four in the morning and work on a play till seven, and then I would go get ready for work and go to the office and, and do that. And I would periodically um, do like stage readings and so on. And occasionally, I'd send it to a theater, but I never, I never really had time. I was, you know, I was at this job. So um, I retired about just about two years ago and um, got very aggressive about. I had, I had like 
over 30 plays on my computer at various levels of development uh, that were unfinished and, you know, whatever. And so I started concentrating on it and really got aggressive. And I would say as, I'm as aggressive as I was about running, you know, the Procter & Gamble cosmetic business as I am with this. So I spend a lot of time, I'm very dedicated to it and very aggressive about it, much more, I have to say, than a lot of my playwright friends. It's, you know, because I, I think I grew up in business, so I have a different approach to it. And I've been really, really fortunate. I've had like, in just two years, I've had like 40 productions and, you know, I was accepted into the William Inge Festival this year, which unfortunately got postponed. Oh, of course. The thing. And, and I won an award for this, from this Hudson uh, Theater. Um, so I've been, you know, I've been shocked and thrilled with the, um, you know, with the, frankly, with the success that I've had in, in acceptance. I mean, I, I'm not making money out of the course. <laughs> money in the but theater? It's, it's, You've it's, got it's to be kidding. I know. I know. And I'm on the, I'm on the board of, um, so I've always been very involved in theater and I'm on the board of the Dramatist Guild Foundation, which is the, the wing of the Dramatist Guild is separate, it's completely separate as part of Dramatist Guild, but we're the fundraisers. So we were the ones who put the programs together and raised the funds to support, uh, you know, the writers and creators of theater. And right now we have a, a big campaign because we're, um, we're sending a lot of aid out to, you know, the, composers and lyricists and book writers and so on and, and playwrights um, who are just struggling so much during this pandemic. Oh, and so we've, we've, um, it's been really, it's been exciting to watch the, um, you know, the, sort of the theater world come together and, and support this. And we've, we've helped hundreds of, of writers so far. So, so that's been exciting. Anyway, that was a big ramble. I'm sorry about that. That is not a ramble. That was as fascinating as I would imagine it would have been. Um, you have been president of all these fashion organizations. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, I was um, chairman of the uh, the thing called, it's called Fashion Group International. Um, and then I was also chairman of the Fragrance Foundation, which are two, like, industry. Um, one is one is strictly uh, the the fragrance world, and then the other one is pretty much every fashion um, house in the world belongs to this. And again, it's it's to help young people enter that the industry and um, and sort of you know run seminars and that sort of thing. And, um, and that, that was exciting. I mean, I, I got to meet some great people. It's also all of that, by the way, um, starting all the way back to the May Company in the early days, and then to my mother and all that. It's all grist for the mill. I mean, as a playwright, I mean, I met a lot of interesting oh, of people. Um, but in some of my in some of my cosmetics and fragrance experience, you know, to work with the boys, Dolce and Gabbana, mm-hmm. or the Gucci Group, or Yves Saint Laurent, that's a whole trip right there. And then um, the you know, and then the whole fashion world. But I also worked with a lot of celebrities because you know we went through this whole celebrity fragrance craze. So I worked like one of my brands was Rihanna and Sean John and Jay-Z. So again, more grist for the playwriting bill. And uh, you know, I have to be careful how I use it so I get sued. But there's lots of, you know, I had a lot of interesting, for me, interesting experiences which can be adapted into plays, or at least pieces of it, you know, uh, into into characters and so on. So that it's been, you know, I, I, it's funny, I was just telling a friend of mine who's, who's made their whole life in theater and, and told me, um, she's had a, it's Gretchen Cryer, and she was the president of the Drama Skill Foundation. She wrote, I'm getting my act together and taking me on the road. She right. played Mrs. Jefferson in 1776 and so on and so forth. She, and her son's John Cryer, the right. actor. She told me that in her entire career, she had three years where she didn't have to worry about money. 
you know, which is horrifying. Here's someone who's really been quite successful and only three years didn't, and she, she, and she doesn't regret it, by the way. She absolutely loves it. She still loves it and, you know, continues to work in theater. But um, it's a tough career, and, and I don't regret the way that I've done it now. I mean, I sort of regret, you know, the 35, 40 years that I didn't do it uh, and, and do it, you know, solely. But um, as it all works out, um, you know, it's um, I'm enjoying it now a lot, and my wife and I have never had to really worry about, you know, where our next meal's coming from or how we're going to pay the rent. So, um, so I feel like it's sort of got the best of both worlds. I think that's wonderful. Getting getting off the track, are you are you a fastidious dresser because of uh, of your fashion? Well, not so much anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I sort of had to be back then, but um, I was also much thinner. <laughs> I mean, after this pandemic, I'll be you know I'll have to wear tents, I think, but. Um, yeah, no, I, you know, we have to be very conscious of that. And it's, it's, it's funny to watch how the world is changing so much because uh, we would never, you know, certainly never go to work without a tie. You know? Oh, yes. And, you know, and all that stuff. It's just, it's, it's changed. But, but it's the, whole, the whole retailing scene has changed so much. I mean, you know, with Amazon and, you know, and just even the way the millennials um, shop and think and what's important to them. And, you know, it's, and, and, I, and I say that on one hand, I'm, I'm sort of thrilled not to be in retail anymore because of that. But on the other hand, I also have a great respect because millennials seem to have their heads on straight. They seem to know, you know, what they want. They want to be happy. They want to make a difference. But they, they're, they're not so much into collecting, you know, uh, in the old capitalistic, like, let me get, see how many clothes you get into my closet. All right. It's a whole different approach. So um, it's, it'll, be, and it'll be interesting, even as a playwright and as, a, as a, somebody who loves theater, to see how ch- theater changes with this whole coronavirus. And, you know, what, once we get past it, you know, hopefully sooner than later, um, how, how our views will change, what, what the audience will want to see. I mean, some are predicting, and I hope this isn't true, that we're only gonna, they're only going to want happy escapism and, you know, um, jukebox musicals because, you know, well, they have their place. It's not what I necessarily want to spend my money on. But there is a concern that, that, um, Dramas and and anything that gets a, you know a little too heavy um, is going to have a harder a harder place at least on at least on Broadway. Um, I think what will probably happen is off Broadway will probably become very very important for new work and I mean it already is but um, even more so because it um, producers just aren't going to be able to risk losing money on something that doesn't draw a tourist audience right so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that the world changes as a result. I, I imagine that uh, uh, because uh, independent theater uh, costs so much less to produce yeah. than a Broadway play, we're going to see a lot of very powerful dramas, a very lot of envelope pushing and, and unapologetic pieces about the government, about the virus, yeah, about people, etc. So ironically, I think we're going to get a, a massive wave of that first simply because we can afford to. And then, and then Broadway's going to say, okay, enough of that. Now we're going to do something from the 1920s, and, and everyone's going to be in, in bright colored things. Right. I mean, we were already, was, yeah, we were already sort of headed that way um, on Broadway. I mean, there, there are certainly some wonderful things, um, uh, Hades Town and Hamilton and Dear Evan Hansen. But there's also a lot of easy stuff that's sort of risk-free for the producer, you know, that tourists love. And, I mean, that's fine. If, if, that, if that, you know, if a successful Broadway thing allows for New York Theater Workshop or the Signature Theater or the Public Theater to flourish, I'm 
cool with that. Yep. Um, but I agree with you. I think that, I think that off Broadway and off off Broadway and, and also, you know, outside of New York, uh, in the theaters around the country, um, people, there's a lot of pent up emotion over what's going on in this country and in wow. this world. Yeah. And, um, and I think, yeah, that'll be a great outlet for it. But then I think these, you know, we're going to go the opposite way. On, on, you're right, on the expensive venues, you know, where it costs a lot of money with the unions and all. Um, and Broadway is, you know, I mean, they, were, they weren't making a lot of money per show as it was. Um, and now it's, it's really kind of scary. So um, it'll be interesting to see when it when it reopens. Um, I, um, do you know that you know Shepard Studio? Did you hear this? I heard all about it. I heard them. I heard about the Secret Theater. I heard about UCB. I heard about many who have just said, "There's nothing we can do." Yeah, yeah, it's really. It's really uh, I I come from a marketing background. I I essentially did what you did. I had two concurrent careers for the last thirty years. One was yeah. the day job working in marketing and and public relations, and then obviously feeding my theater fix, uh, in the evening. So I, I can, I, my, 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 my strategy as I look at it now is, okay, when things open, great, come to New York to see SpongeBob, but then on your off night, please go see Angels in America or something Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. And, and I, and I, and I do, I, I like, particularly when I was working when I had a full-time job, I saw everything. Even, and I would, I would even see things like in previews, just to see how they changed once they opened, you know, when they're, when they're still rewriting the show and so on. Um, when I was growing up in Cleveland, one of my best friends from third grade on was Mark O'Donnell, who wrote Hairspray. And, and he told me that when it was on the road before it hit Broadway, that he spent every night rewriting it. Oh, sure. Which surprised me. It's, you know, I had no idea that, I mean, I knew there were rewrites and corrections and I had to do whatever. Every single night. And when it was in Seattle, it had a long run in Seattle before it came to Broadway. And it was painful for him. You know, I mean, it all worked out fine. He won Tony Awards and went on to make the movie and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. But it was, um, it, it's, you know, it's a lot. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see. You know, there's, always, there's always these theater stories about, oh, well, during the road, this happened and this actor changed. And so because yes. of that, they wrote this song. One of my favorites, uh, uh, which you probably know because you know every theater story according to Facebook, uh, uh, Yul Brenner and Gertrude Lawrence uh, uh, were becoming more than friends during the original King and I, and, yeah. and Rodgers and Hammerstein saw this during previews, and uh, one day they just said, you know, why don't we capitalize on this? And they wrote, shall we dance? So, so that some, because both of them were attracted to each other, suddenly they got a, a veiled love song somewhere in the show. That's that's interesting. The, um, the one I remember is also Roger North sent the, um, the Oklahoma story where it was in Boston and it was doing terrible, this pre-Broadway tour and it was doing horribly. And the, you know, it was just getting panned everywhere it went, and and Oklahoma was like a ballad. It wasn't the same song. It was just, you know, whatever Oklahoma was at that point was like a ballad. And a chorus, allegedly, a chorus member came to Rodgers and Hammerstein and said, "You know, if you if you made that like a rousing chorus number, and either actually if it ends the actor begins the next act, whatever, um, and did it in this particular place in the show, I think it would change the entire show." And they thought, what the hell? We're we're doing so poorly at the moment. Let's try it, and it totally changed the show. Wow. When we Obama, you know. So yeah, there's lots of oh, there's lots of those. It's um, I also love the casting stories in theater where <laughs> this one turned it down and that one turned it down. And you know, it's uh, it's interesting. But you, you and I, 
I don't regret it. I think you and I did the right thing. I mean, um, to have the two careers, one funded the other. Completely. You know, one funded the passion, and I, you know, I'm thrilled at how much I got to see. I would have never seen, and I would have second-acted a lot of things. Back in the when I was going to that theater school that didn't exist, and I had it realized I was, I was so poor. And and uh, Luch House used to have this tribute to theater people on Sunday nights, and so they were having a um, uh, a tribute to Sammy Khan, and so it was my roommate's birthday, so I took her to to see it. <laughs> God knows what money, and so we went to see it, and so I'm talking to Sammy Khan. And I, and I bought a five minutes more, the sheet music, five minutes more, which he wrote with Julie Stein. Mm-hmm. And so I said, Mr. Khan, could you please sign this? And he goes, oh my God, Julie, look what he brought. And there's Julie Stein, <gasps> which, you know, funny girl, gypsy. I, of I was, course. I'm freaking out. And suddenly it was like the other one didn't exist. And I'm all over Julie Stein. And so, and Angela Lansbury had just opened in Gypsy in London. And, um, and, Julie Stein says, have you seen Angela in Gypsy? I'm like, I can't even get to Brooklyn. You know, <laughs> but I tell him that. It was very cool. I just said, oh, no, I haven't, but I know she's coming to New York. And I'm just curious, like, um, how different is it from, you know, the Ethel Merman version? And Julie Stein said, Ethel was no actress. Angela will rip your heart out. Now, that was a long time ago, and I remember it was yesterday. Because <laughs> Stories change your life, you know. They, and, I, and I think that's what's so great about theater. I think that theater, unlike I, when I was the president of these cosmetic companies, I would run these sales meetings, and, and I would say to the to this audience of my sales staff, my you know, sales force during these sales meetings, can anybody remember their first theater, live theater experience? Whether it was in you know you were a child and it was a high school production, whatever it was, can anybody remember the first play you saw and every hand in the house went up? And I said, now, can you remember the first television show you watched? Nope. Can you remember the first movie you watched? Mm-hmm. Nope. But everyone remembers, because theater makes an impact on us that, like nothing else, like none of the other arts. And, um, and I, and, and most of the, and we see a lot, because we subscribe to all, we subscribe to all the off-Broadway stuff too. And we see a lot, and I remember, every one of them hits me, you know, in some way, some more than others, obviously, but, um, they all, they all make an impact, even the bad ones. <laughs> So I, you know, I just, it's a wonderful art form. I've I've always looked at movies and television as a marriage because they they in in many ways are there forever, uh, and we can always revisit over and over yes. again. But but theater is an affair. You're going yeah. you're going to something that one brief time, and you'd better remember every bit of it because it yeah, is completely gone. Yeah, you're absolutely uh, right. And that, and even that you see that night. The audience the next night is going to have a different experience. It's going to be a different audience, different reactions, everything. So yeah, it's it's really uh, it's really something. Cheetah Rivera uh, once uh, once made the comment that everybody who, if she tallied up everyone who came over to her and said I was there opening night of West Side Story, there would have been about a million people in the audience. <laughs> I, 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 all of my friends saw Moose Murders. It only lasted one. Night. <laughs> everyone saw it. Jeez, you, you got to wonder why it didn't succeed then. I know, right? What, what do you see out there? You're you're in this. The, you're you're now in a very interesting point. You have spent uh, again. My my professor remark is 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 that much more uh, interesting because you have spent years studying it. You've been in one career. You've been prosperous in that career, but you've been watching the growth of theater, and then you jumped right into it. What what have you seen? Is the continuing trends? What do you see keep coming back? What 
what, what's your vantage point from for the American theater? I think that um, I'm fortunate to be. As a, as a member of this board for the Drum Skilled Foundation, I'm um, I'm exposed to people like Doug Wright, who's also on the board, and you know some of our great living writers. And um, what what's true of all of them, all the successful ones, the, both the composers, lyricists, and the playwrights, is there is a, a they have a real heart. You know, there's a real human connection, and um, and I think that what will always work, um, all the way back you know, to probably Greece and German Shakespeare or whatever, are, are stories stories where the um, probably the protagonist goes through a journey and is, is different at the end and somehow has taken the audience with them. And you too, Harold Prince once said, um, in Cleveland actually, uh, I went to hear him speak at, at the uh, Cleveland Playhouse, and he said, when I leave the theater, I want to be a different person than I was when I entered. And I and I think and I and I think I think about that all the time. And when I see a great play, Angels of America or, or whatever, um, and I move to the point where I am my attitude, this is going to change the way I approach this or that, you know, or think about this or whatever. To me that's that's really great theater. And I think that will that will be the the key. So, I mean, you know, things, you know, the, the jukebox musicals or whatever you want to call them, they can make you happy for two hours. And, you know, I don't think they're necessarily going to change your life. And I don't necessarily think they're going to be revived in 50 years. But the real, you know, the Eugene O'Neill's and the Tennessee mm-hmm. Williams and, and so on that move us and, um, and whether we're conscious of it or not, um, change us in some way, um, I think will we'll always be the, will always be important, you know, sort of this. I, uh, I I agree with you and Harold Prince. I was just saying the other day in an interview myself that that uh, if if I can forget that there are there are wires pulling the set, that there are no wheels on the bottom of that living room, if I can forget that there's a curtain that this is at, if 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 the lights come up and I go, oh, that's right, I'm in a play, then yeah. then they did they definitely did their job. Yeah, I was doing something. In fact, um, it's, I think it was on Facebook. Uh, uh, we were talking about Doug Wright's I Am My Own Wife. That was a mm-hmm. one-man show. When I think about that play, because the actor played several characters, I, 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 in my mind, see an entire cast. I believed that there were several people on that stage. <laughs> it was you know, in my memory, even though there was one actor. And he was, you know, he was astounding. And um, I, I agree with that. The magic, I mean, that we can see a play with, with no set and feel like, you know, it was all there. After we saw it in our minds, exactly, you know, is brilliant. Exactly. There's a story once of uh, this is an old French drama of the of the late 1800s, early 1900s, and and a patron came over to someone at the box office and complained and said, "Did you have to have that clock ticking all through the piece? It was annoying." And and the the person he spoke to said, "Sir, there was there was no clock ticking at all. It was a murder wow. mystery that talked about a clock ticking, and wow. it was so deep to him he heard That's it great. ticking in his head." That's um, great. What's your mission statement as a playwright? If we were to see a play of Donald Luftus, what are, is there a particular style or or, or something we should look yeah, for? I, I write surprisingly <laughs> for me. You don't know me, so it's not surprising for you. <laughs> but for, for my friends. And family, I write really heavy stuff. I write really heavy um, dramas, and um, uh, one that was produced, or, or things that people who know me just wouldn't expect 
to come for me. Um, I wrote one called Pear, which is about, uh, uh, it's a murder uh, mystery in a way. This, this young kid has, has murdered his father. And, um, and it's a true story. It's, it's, it's based on the first, or, no, I'm sorry, it's based on the last beheading in Scotland or something. <laughs> I mean, it's really, it goes back to like 1800s, but, but I made it present day and, and it's, it's really eerie and it's creepy. And um, I went to see it. It was done in a theater in uh, uh, Mesa, Arizona, actually. Uh, and um, I said Texas, I think, but it's Mesa, Arizona. And it, I sat there and thought, geez, who wrote this? I mean, it's, it's, you know, I write very heavy stuff like that. I just finished one. They say that, to the, you know, playwrights are told that your best work will be the one that's most autobiographical. And I just finished one called Driftwood, um, which is, um, it's sort and this is one that's sort of like based a little bit from a story from my cosmetic background. Um, Richard Abaddon did a whole series, I don't know if you saw that, but he did a whole series of photographs of his father right before the father died. And they're eerie, and they're, they're um, each portrait, um, at first he just looks old and sick, and then he looks very, very frightened, and then, he, and then, like in the fifth one, he looks very, very calm, and then his eyes are closed. The last one, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing piece, and it's. Um, I saw it in, when I lived in Boston. Um, so, in this particular play, the the uh, this uh, New York um, photographer is called home to Cleveland um, mm-hmm. because his his father is dying. And the father feels he never had anything to do with the success of the of the kid's career or the guy's career. He's not a kid anymore, and um, he wants to help him uh, win win this major photography award. And so he he says to the son, um, "I need you to do something to me. I want you to photograph my death." And the the photographer is totally freaked out. But first of all, there's no love loss between these two guys. Which you, and then as the play progresses, you find out that, and this is where it's autobiographical because you find out that, that the father left when the kid was eight, mm-hmm. and you know the family, and he came back and um, and remarried the mother. But the father and son have never gotten along, and so on and so forth. And so all this gets unraveled through the dialogue they have during these photo sessions. He finally agrees to do it. He does it for the mother. He agrees to take these pictures. And so over the days during these, these sessions, they, they sort of relive what's got them both here kind of thing. It gets very heavy. And um, maybe a little, it hasn't been produced yet. It has had one reading. It actually had, it was scheduled uh, as part of this, um, there's a festival in New York called um, the Eat Festival, Emerging Artists Theater mm-hmm. uh, Festival, a new place, and it was scheduled for that. In fact, last weekend I think it was, oh. but unfortunately it was canceled. So, um, and I think it's the one that actually got me into the Inch Festival. So it will be. So we read at the William Inch Festival next year. But um, it's, I'm, I think it's my best. I don't know because it hasn't had an audience yet. But again, it's, it's sort of heavy. I've also written music. I've written a couple of musical, three musicals. Um, I don't write the music, but I write the book and lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are those are much lighter and much funnier. Um, one is an adaptation of um, uh, the Apple story, you know, the Betty Davis um, Pocket Full of Miracles. Right, right. David Runyon. And um, so those are lighter. And uh, and I have a couple of comedies um, in the works. But like I say, I have, I have a slew of plays that are in <laughs> various stages of development. I'm, I'm hoping that during this you know, whatever, however long we'll be locked up here, um, I'll be able to get some of that done. Where does the darkness come within you? 
I don't know. I don't know because I'm really. Uh, this sounds horrible to say, but I'm pe- like people tell you I'm a funny person. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not depressing. I don't think. Or <laughs> but there's, um, it's you know, and I, I find that I find that true of like the playwrights that I know. Um, I also belong to two playwriting groups. Um, one that's uh, drama. It's called the DGPG or PG. Yeah, it's called Playwrights Group, so DGPG, and another group called Pages. And the um, the playwrights there, too, are often, their work is completely different than who they are, you know, from a personality standpoint. I don't know what, what that's about. But even the, um, the successful ones that I know from the board um, are nothing like their work, you know. Um, it's not really what you'd expect from them. Um, so I don't know. I don't know where There's the story of Vincent Price, and, and, and they once asked him uh, if he minded playing all these macabre roles. Mm-hmm. And he explained that early in his life he played these innocent kid roles, and then he played these these matinee idols, and he got really tired of, the, of these parts. He wanted to play the heavy. So, so when they said, here, do Edgar Allan Poe, he was like, yeah, great, no problem. So, yeah, that's, that's, I love this. So, so I guess you were um, too nice. Well, it, could be, it could also go back to possibly. I'm not sure this is it, but um, that's what I like in theater. I am much okay. better going to see a, a, a heavy drama, like rip my heart out. <laughs> you know, um, the, the one that recently came from London. Um, what was it called? Um, the Inheritance. I didn't love the second half, but the first half. Did you see it? The Inheritance. No, I did not. Uh, there's there's a scene at the end of Act One that everyone everyone in the audience was sobbing. Uh, it, it was so powerful, and I thought, wow, this is. I, I don't think I've ever ever seen that before. Where you know, young people, old people, men, women, everyone, they were all sobbing at the end of Act One, and, and I love that. You wow. know, so maybe that's why I tend to write everywhere. I suppose. On the other hand, though, I have to say, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, I hate the fact that I just watched a, a, some scenes from Plaza Suite, the original Plaza Suite. I hate the fact that Neil Simon, who was so huge when we were growing up, is so distant now. I mean, what, he doesn't get produced, and then they tried to open three of his on Broadway, which, I don't know, maybe it's been 10 years already, but a number of years recently, though, um, and it didn't work. And what's that about? How can how, his plays were classic? Comedy. Comedy is subjective. I've always yeah. discovered that, uh, it, firstly, it takes a genius to make people laugh. Uh, you, there's, there's a sense of timing in there that mathematicians wish that they had uh, in terms of comedy. But because we all laugh at certain things in our lives, as the world changes, it's just not funny it's anymore. Not funny. I, I think Neil Simon's brilliant, but if I were to watch The Odd Couple, I would have to look at it as a classic and, yeah. and and think to myself, okay, where else do they have such apartments like that in New York? Uh, uh, and and what are we calling two guys that live together, but they're not gay? What's going on? It's it, the as as the world's norms change, uh, what makes us laugh changes. And I guess I guess unfortunately, poor Mister Simon uh, is is of a, a non millennial era when you get yeah, down to it's, it. It's, it's surprising that, but you're right, you're right, though. And, and I think probably, I mean, television has evolved so much, too, because, you know, we now, we, you know, once had three channels, we now have 3,000. So things like Netflix and HBO and all that have probably taken some of the things that could be in a Neil Simon play that couldn't be on the, you know, 1960s 
CBS. Exactly. Um, that, you know, so we were, we were just, it's not funny to us anymore, you're right. Well, it, but, it, it's also yeah, a matter of the language. You know, we, we don't, we don't want to hear just, hey, get out, what are you doing? No, we want to hear someone <laughs> scream four-letter <laughs> words. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Spe- speaking of humor, speaking of, of the lighthearted, uh, I got to know you from Facebook. You are a fount of, of wisdom on Facebook. Every day there's two or three pictures from different movies. Every day there's, there's a new Did You Know and On This Day. What, what got you into this incredibly time-consuming task of being the sage of Facebook? It is, it is very time-consuming. <laughs> but I started, like, I think six years ago. And it started with, you know, born on this day, one person. And then, um, and on this day, this event, one event, that was it. And, um, and then, uh, and I didn't do the caption thing yet, you know, in need of a caption. Then, but then I, because I've been doing it for six years, so then the next year I would take whatever I had last year, which is still on there in your memories file mm-hmm. on Facebook, and I would add one, you know, and then, and then it kept building, building. and some, there are days where I wake up and, and oftentimes at four o'clock is when I'm doing this, and I'll look in my memories from last year what happened on this day, and because there's six years of it now, it'll be endless. And I think, first of all, does anybody really want to read all this stuff? And then, and secondly, um, do I really want to spend this much time on this? But and then, I, so a lot of it is a rehash of what I've run for the past six years, so it's not all do. Um, but I do have to, like, if they're still living, if whoever's birthday it is or whatever, um, I do have to check to make sure that something didn't happen. And it usually has. Some, you know, they've, they've either done new work or they've become ill or right. they've done this or that. You know, so I have to update them. And then and some of them are just, um, it's, uh, every now and then I'll do a perennial favorite because some of them get like a huge reaction, you know, like 50 comments over oh, some of these things. And, uh, and it's year after year that they, um, they don't tend to remember them, thank God. <laughs> it always seems fresh to them. And, um, so it's, it's fun. But with the thing that's, that's, I mean, I do this, I do this, um, in need of a caption where I'll take an old photograph from the movies and just say that in need of a caption and the the wit of of the people they're hysterical a lot of sometimes very bawdy um, and then they'll get in fights with each other which drives me crazy so it's it takes it actually takes too much time and there was one point where I was getting sort of getting fed up because they were fighting amongst each other and insulting each other, whatever. I'm talking about the participants. And I said, you know what? I, this is now taking up too much time. It's interfering with my playwriting. I think I'm just going to stop now. And that got this huge backlash of people. They were like, oh, please don't stop. So, you know, so, so I keep it going. And, um, and I've met a lot of, of really fun people. Ken Fallon, the artist, you know, does a lot of the Broadway stuff. Um, is We became friends because of that, actually. And like Carol Bear Sager plays every day, which is very funny. I've never met her in my life, but you know she plays every day and wins a lot. So. <laughs> I, I I remember actually seeing the comment somewhere that said, "Okay, I have to I have to concentrate on my playwriting, so I'm going to hold off on this or something." Yeah, like, and and I thought, "Oh, that's too bad." I didn't go crazy. I just thought, "Oh, that's really too bad." I like these <laughs> every day. I have to tell you, it's it's like. The Facebook is not complete until I see what you've written, oh, uh, so nice. and 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 I thought, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll see him once a week or something like that. And then the next day, you had double the amount or whatever. So yeah, I, I imagined the the backlash. 
you know, and my wife, my wife said I was doing it as a ploy to, you know, to get attention. Or I really wasn't. I really, I really thought enough's enough. And, and there were a couple of people in there who fight all the time and get really nasty. I mean, I was like, yeah, who needs this? And I would delete them and then, you know, they'd write up again. And, but, and now they're, they're all sort of behaving themselves. So okay. well, there you go. You've, you've, you've corralled the theater bunch. Exactly. I, I have to thank you on two levels. Number one, I am a far more intelligent man in terms of the arts because of you. I can't even tell you how many parties and meetings and classes where I'll say, did you know that today, and I'll, I'll do whatever you had there, you, you, you had something about Orson Welles once, and, you had, and, and today I had no idea that Stephen Sondheim was snubbed by the Tonys for, for form. So, so I'm, I'm a, I have to thank you. I'm a, I'm a smarter theatrical person because of you. And, and I must also thank you for this. This was a wonderful, uh, chat. Uh, uh, I will let you know when, when it's up on Facebook. Uh, uh, it has been a pleasure speaking to you. I've always wanted to learn more about you because you, you, you seem like a brilliant man and, and so connected to the industry. And it seems you're connected to many industries. And, well, I'm and very flattered, and thank you so much. And I, I've enjoyed this too very much. So good, I'm glad. And thank you very much. And have a great day. Thank you. Same to you. Ciao. Thanks.